Chapter 3 of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Scott Jones. Varney the Vampire, Volume 1, by Thomas Prescott Prest. The Disappearance of the Body. Flora's Recovery and Madness. The Offer of Assistance from Sir Francis Varney. He is human, cried Henry. I have surely killed him. It would seem so, said Mr. Marchdale. Let us now hurry round to the outside of the wall and see where he lies. This was at once agreed to, and the whole three of them made what expedition they could towards a gate which led into a paddock, across which they hurried, and soon found themselves clear of the garden wall, so that they could make way towards where they fully expected to find the body of him who had worn so unearthly an aspect, but who it would be an excessive relief to find was human. So hurried was the progress they made, that it was scarcely possible to exchange many words as they went. A kind of breathless anxiety was upon them, and in the speed they disregarded every obstacle, which would, at any other time, have probably prevented them from taking the direct road they sought. It was difficult on the outside of the wall to say exactly which was the precise spot which it might be supposed the body had fallen on. But, by following the wall its entire length, surely they would come upon it. They did so, but, to their surprise, they got from its commencement to its further extremity without finding any dead body, or even any symptoms of one having lain there. At some parts close to the wall there grew a kind of heath, and consequently the traces of blood would be lost among it, if it so happened that at the precise spot at which the strange being had seemed to topple over, such vegetation had existed. This was to be ascertained, but now, after traversing the whole length of the wall twice, they came to a halt and looked wanderingly in each other's faces. "'There is nothing here,' said Henry. "'Nothing,' added his brother." It could not have been a delusion, at length said Mr. Marchdale with a shudder. A delusion, exclaimed the brothers. That is not possible. We all saw it. Then what terrible explanation can we give? By heavens I know not, exclaimed Henry. This adventure surpasses all belief, and but for the great interest we have in it, I should regard it with a world of curiosity. It is too dreadful, said George. For God's sake, Henry, let us return to ascertain if poor Flora is killed. My senses, said Henry, were all so much absorbed in gazing at that horrible form that I never once looked towards her further than to see that she was, to appearance, dead. God help her, poor, poor, beautiful Flora. This is indeed a sad, sad fate for you to come to, Flora, Flora. Do not weep, Henry, said George. Rather let us now hasten home, where we may find that tears are premature. She may yet be living and restored to us. And, said Mr. Marchdale, she may be able to give us some account of this dreadful visitation. True, true, exclaimed Henry. We will hasten home. They now turned their steps homewards, and as they went they much blamed themselves for all leaving home together and with terror pictured what might occur in their absence to those who were now totally unprotected. "'It was a rash impulse of all of us to come in pursuit of this dreadful figure,' remarked Mr. Marchdale. 
but do not torment yourself, Henry. There may be no reason for your fears. At the pace they went, they very soon reached the ancient house, and when they came inside of it, they saw lights flashing from the windows, and the shadows of faces moving to and fro, indicating that the whole household was up and in a state of alarm. Henry, after some trouble, got the hall door opened by a terrified servant, who was trembling so much that she could scarcely hold the light she had with her. "'Speak at once, Martha,' said Henry. "'Is Flora living?' "'Yes, but—' "'Enough, enough. Thank God she lives. Where is she now?' "'In her own room, Master Henry. Oh, dear, oh, dear. What will become of us all?' Henry rushed up the staircase, followed by George and Mr. Marchdale nor paused he once until he reached the room of his sister. Mother, he said, before he crossed the threshold, are you here? I am, my dear, I am. Come in, pray come in, and speak to Flora. Come in, Mr. Marshdale, said Henry. Come in, we will make no stranger of you. They all entered the room. Several lights had been now brought into the antique chamber, and, in addition to the mother of the beautiful girl, who had been so fearfully visited, there were two female domestics, who appeared to be in the greatest possible fright, for they could render no assistance whatever to anybody. The tears were streaming down the mother's face, and the moment she saw Mr. Marchdale she clung to his arm, evidently unconscious of what she was about, and exclaimed, "'Oh, what is this that has happened? What is this? Tell me, Marchdale.' Robert Marchdale, you whom I have known even from my childhood, you will not deceive me. Tell me the meaning of all of this. I cannot, he said, in a tone of much emotion. As God is my judge, I am as much puzzled and amazed at the scene that has taken place here tonight as you can be. The mother wrung her hands and wept. It was the storm that first awakened me, added Marchdale, and then I heard a scream. The brothers tremblingly approached the bed. Flora was placed in a sitting, half-reclining posture, propped up by pillows. She was quite insensible, and her face was fearfully pale. While that she breathed at all could be but very faintly seen. On some of her clothing, about the neck, were spots of blood, and she looked more like one who had suffered some long and grievous illness than a young girl in the prime of life and in the most robust health as she had been on the day previous to the strange scene we have recorded. "'Does she sleep?' said Henry, as a tear fell from his eyes upon her pallid cheek. "'No,' replied Mr. Marshdale. "'This is a swoon, from which we must recover her.' Active measures were now adopted to restore the languid circulation, and, after preserving in them for some time, they had the satisfaction of seeing her open her eyes. Her first act upon consciousness returning, however, was to utter a loud shriek, and it was not until Henry implored her to look around her and see that she was surrounded by none but friendly faces that she would venture again to open her eyes and look timidly from one to the other. Then she shuddered and burst into tears as she said, Oh, heaven, have mercy upon me. Heaven have mercy upon me, and save me from that dreadful form. There is no one here, Flora, said Mr. Marchdale, but those who love you, and who, in defense of you, if needs were, would lay down their lives. Oh, God, oh, God! 
You have been terrified, but tell us distinctly what has happened. You are quite safe now. She trembled so violently that Mr. Marshdale recommended that some stimulant should be given to her, and she was persuaded, although not without considerable difficulty, to swallow a portion of some wine from a cup. There could be no doubt but that the stimulating effect of the wine was beneficial, for a slight accession of color visited her cheeks, and she spoke in a firmer tone as she said, Do not leave me, oh, do not leave me any of you. I shall die if left alone now. Oh, save me, save me, that horrible form, that fearful face. Tell us how it happened, dear Flora, said Henry. No, 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 she said. I don't think I shall ever sleep again. Say not so. You will be more composed in a few hours, and then you can tell us what has occurred. I will tell you now. I will tell you now. She placed her hands over her face for a moment, as if to collect her scattered thoughts, and then she added, I was awakened by the storm, and I saw the terrible apparition at the window. I think I screamed, but I could not fly. Oh, God, I could not fly. It came, it seized me by the hair. I know no more, I know no more. She passed her hand across her neck several times, and Mr. Marshdale said, in an anxious voice, You seem, Flora, to have hurt your neck. There is a wound. A wound, said the mother, and she brought a light close to the bed, where all saw on the side of Flora's neck a small punctured wound, or rather two, for there was one a little distance from the other. It was from these wounds the blood had come which was observable upon her night clothing. How came these wounds? said Henry. I do not know, she replied. I feel very faint and weak, as if I had almost bled to death. You cannot have done so, dear Flora, for there are not above half a dozen spots of blood to be seen at all. Mr. Marchdale leaned against the carved head of the bed for support, and he uttered a deep groan. All eyes were turned upon him, and Henry said, in a voice of the most anxious inquiry, Have you something to say, Mr. Marchdale, which will throw some light upon this affair? No, 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 nothing, cried Mr. Marchdale, rousing himself at once from the appearance of depression that had come over him. I have nothing to say, but that I think Flora had better get some sleep if she can. No sleep, no sleep for me, again screamed Flora. Dare I be alone to sleep? But ye shall not be alone, dear Flora, said Henry. I will sit by your bedside and watch you. She took his hand in hers, and while the tears chased each other down her cheeks, she said, Promise me, Henry, by all your hopes of heaven you will not leave me. I promise. She gently laid herself down with a deep sigh and closed her eyes. She is weak and will sleep long, said Mr. Marchdale. You sigh, said Henry. Some fearful thoughts, I feel certain, oppress your heart. Hush, hush, said Mr. Marchdale, as he pointed to Flora. Hush, not here, not here. I understand, said Henry. Let her sleep. There was a silence of some few minutes' duration. Flora had dropped into a deep slumber. That silence was first broken by George, who said, Mr. Marchdale, look at the portrait. He pointed to the portrait in the frame which we have alluded, and the moment Marchdale looked at it, he sunk into a chair as he exclaimed, Gracious heaven, how alike! It is, it is, said Henry, those eyes! 
and see the contour of the countenance and the strange shape of the mouth? Exact, exact. That picture shall be moved from here. The sight of it is at once sufficient to awaken all her former terrors in poor Flora's brain if she should chance to awaken and cast her eyes suddenly upon it. And is it so like him who came here? said the mother. It is the very man himself, said Mr. Marchdale. I have not been in this house long enough to ask any of you whose portrait that may be. It is, said Henry, the portrait of Sir Runnagate Bannerworth, an ancestor of ours, who first, by his vices, gave the great blow to the family prosperity. Indeed, how long ago? About ninety years. Ninety years? Tis a long while, ninety years. You muse upon it. No, no, I do wish, and yet I dread. What? To say something to you all. But not here, not here. We will hold a consultation on this matter tomorrow. Not now, not now. The daylight is coming quickly on, said Henry. I shall keep my sacred promise of not moving from this room until Flora awakens. But there can be no occasion for the detention of any of you. One is sufficient here. Go all of you, and endeavor to procure what rest you can. I will fetch you my powder flask and bullets, said Mr. Marchdale, and you can, if you please, reload the pistols. In about two hours more it will be broad daylight. This arrangement was adopted. Henry did reload the pistols and place them on a table by the side of the bed, ready for immediate action, and then, as Flora was sleeping soundly, all left the room but himself. Mrs. Bannerworth was the last to do so. She would have remained, but for the earnest solicitation of Henry, that she would endeavor to get some sleep to make up for her broken night's repose, and she was indeed so broken down by her alarm on Flora's account, that she had not power to resist, but with tears flowing from her eyes, she sought her own chamber. And now the calmness of night resumed its sway in that evil-fated mansion, and although no one really slept but Flora, all were still. Busy thought kept everyone else wakeful. It was a mockery to lie down at all, and Henry, full of strange and painful feeling as he was, preferred his present position to the anxiety and apprehension on Flora's account, which he knew he should feel if she were not within the sphere of his own observation, and she slept soundly as some gentle infant tired of its playmates and its sports. End of chapter 3 Recording by Scott Jones, San Clemente, California.